today on Tea and Teaching. Um, Targa was established really back in 2016 and then launched in 2019 um, between Chaz Golden and myself. And it was to originally highlight the accomplishments and achievements of people of African African diaspora heritage were often missing through history. Children have the information at their fingertips and they and they're aware of the diversity of the of the global kind of you know society we live in and they want to know more. They want to know more unique stories, they want to know more interesting narratives. And I think for us it's about that engagement and about people kind of being being tuned in and wanting to learn. Welcome to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to with a cup of tea. I'm Arthur Moore, and with me, as always, he's there. It's Mike Harrell. Hi, Mike. Hello, Arthur. How are you? Ah, I'm very, very good today, buddy. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Do you want to hear who we've got on the pod today? I would love to. Well, Mike, we are talking to uh, Chaz and Lawrence from the Cargo Movement. And you're probably thinking, Mike... What is cargo? And you know what? I think it's best to let Chaz and Lawrence explain it because they will do it far better justice than I can. So everyone go away, get the kettle on, get a cup of tea, get a biscuit. And when we're back, we're going to be talking to Chaz and Lawrence all about cargo and how it can. Well, you'll find out. See you in a moment. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. We are joined today by Chaz and Lawrence from Cargo. Uh, welcome to the pod. Yeah, hi guys. Um, so I think we should jump in. Lawrence, do you want to give us the quick story about what is Cargo all about? Okay, well, a quick, a quick intro. Um, Cargo was established really back in 2016 and then launched in 2019 um, between Chaz Golden and myself. And it was to originally highlight the accomplishments and achievements of people of African and African diaspora heritage were often missing through history. And instead of looking at a disempowering, normalised story that we hear, it was to actually have a story, put together a collection of work that would inspire people. And so Cargo is a name. Cargo actually stands for Charting African Resilience, Generating Opportunities. And um, we were looking at a timeline originally of like 400 years, 500 years, and showing all the individuals, and every individual through this timeline was standing on the shoulder of the individual before that. Um, they enabled us to be here today talking to you on this podcast. And it was through working, so originally we were going to put together an installation in the city of Bristol, which was actually going to be put into shipping containers. And that's how the name Cargo came up in the beginning, because they were cargo containers. So that was the first thing, and it was using, looking at using holograms, video, and projection mapping within this installation to tell this story. This was due to happen, first of all, around 2019 and then 2020. And then 2020 came, COVID came. People all of a sudden really didn't want to be kept in a confined space with people. But at the same time, we were still looking at the education side of what Cargo could deliver. Well, we were looking, we felt in the beginning that we had to do something magnificent and fascinating to get people interested in this in this story and interested in this body of work. Um, we actually 
when that happened, we turned it into Targo Classroom, which then that's where it became an online resource, education resources, telling this story that we wanted to ensure to have the biggest reach it could have possible. So it became an online resource. And what was very important to us from the beginning was that this resource would be free because we wanted to remove as many barriers that had been in place after doing, um, we've done workshops with a lot of teachers, um, did a lot of, what do you call it, um, fact-finding work to find out what some of the, what was problematic with delivering this work, what the problems were. So one of them was the resources weren't available. One was that schools or teachers don't have the resources as, as in costs to be able to buy in new work. So we went, right, we're going to make it and we're going to make it free. We're going to put it online so it's accessible to everybody. And that's that's kind of the beginning of this work. And we've worked with an amazing um, collective of artists, creatives, teachers in all different specialist fields to be able to put this work together. And, and without everybody coming together, we wouldn't have been able to get to where we are today. So it's, it's a very collaborative piece of work. Uh, collaborative is exactly the word I kind of like think when you go through your resources and your website and your videos like that, you can see the amount of input that's coming from from different areas into into what you're doing. Chaz, why is this like how did you kind of get involved? Because I'm just interested how this kind of that conversation led to, led to this between you and Lawrence, how this led to cargo kind of at the start. Yeah, I mean, it was really um, I mean, Lawrence has been writing poetry for several years and um i came across his poems in a bookshop in bristol before i'd even met the guy <laughs> and uh and bought one of his books and i just thought that i was just really intrigued by the cover the way that he was presenting his material felt very contemporary it didn't feel like a, in a, a standard book poetry book you pick off the shelves it just had a just a different feel to it and it just really it just stuck out st stuck out for me so yeah, I, I bought it. And then coincidentally, a friend of mine introduced me to Lawrence independently. And so you got to meet this guy. And and then we just kind of hit it off. And and Lawrence was trying to get make exhibitions with his poetry and with a visual kind of um, counterpart as well. And then we kind of came together. I'm a, I'm a traditional graphic designer, filmmaker. And I and I was doing some helping him with some of that aspect, some of the visual aspect. And he was writing and it was the kind of a perfect kind of combination really and 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 at that time Lawrence was finding a, a real pushback on displaying his work within um kind of the tr traditional art gallery space system you know the classic white cube so we you know we were like well why don't we just make our own space why do we why do, why do we have to work within these traditional spaces where you know there's there's kind of gatekeepers and there's rules and there's you know and there's kind of things you, you have to abide by and we were just like let's make up our own rules and let's and let's make our own space and and then he came up with the idea of well he told me that a cargo container you could park like a car and I felt that just always stuck with me I was like you can park a cargo container like a car so it could go anywhere so so we can do it in there you know and then it was just like that's when the ball started rolling and we were just like you know let's 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 we've got something here let's let's carry on pushing it and the idea of taking somebody on a journey in a space like they are you know there's there's lots of kind of metaphors there with travel and transportation and all of those things we thought it was great you can put somebody in a box and then take them to the other side of the world and have them experience a perspective that they'll never see and also the opportunity to take those spaces 
to people that wouldn't necessarily ordinarily go to a gallery and uh, we're, we're kind of maybe a little bit more comfortable in those spaces um but say you know other individuals feel like that isn't their world and they wouldn't want to go there so we were like let's take the space to the to, to the people as it were and uh yeah and it just that, that flexibility of movement and that flexibility of just not having to work under the kind of um the supervision of somebody else who we didn't necessarily see eye to eye with i think that's really the crux of what kind of helped us to kind of get to where we are i mean a statement that lawrence always loves is no permission required and and i think that's kind of fundamentally um kind of the backbone of what we do I and mean, we've always all and we've all always been fiercely independent and i think that's um kind of our uniqueness really because we we're working with a a very um um yeah a space that's not really our space but we we're you know kind of forging our own path and and doing it on our own and everything we've done we've done obviously with the collaboration and the support of many other people but generally we're just kind of making our own decisions and we don't need to answer to anybody and i think that's uh that's helped us to get to where we are so when a, you've been working with schools for a, a few years now when a school gets involved with cargo can we kind of talk about like what what do they get? What do they get from working with you and and the cargo and all that stuff? Because we've talked about resources and stuff in the lessons, but like what do they actually get? And then we can kind of talk about. I mean, that. I mean it's, it's it's many it's many levels, I guess. I mean, it's depending on what kind of um, how much involvement they want. I mean, there's there's a workshop level where you know Lawrence might go to a school and give a talk on a seminar about some of the material that we we create and um and uh, and then maybe engage the children in poetry workshops and you know more kind of hands-on exercises and then there's the the kind of the, the work where teachers kind of inform the work that we do so that we work very closely with you know an ever-growing kind of um, team of um, teachers and educators and that um and we might work with them for them to inspire the kind of material that we say we want to focus on um and i mean i mean there, there's been so many different kind of um um kind of relationships with schools and teachers i mean maybe you wanted to say lawrence about you know some of the experiences you've had i mean maybe with Veneta recently or or you know, I don't know what, yeah, like I said, what, what brings to mind the different types of workshops i think in the very beginning we, we were doing workshops actually with teachers to see what they were looking for and what was required and what their barriers were. And so that helped us with developing the work. But then we, I go into schools, we go into schools and we do the workshops, we, we've launched lessons, then we've worked with various schools that have become the resources we do. And with Vanetta Spencer Local in a city school in Bristol, we worked with May Park um, for a launch of what was the Lonnie Johnson primary school lessons. And what we did with that is we ended up doing a workshop with some of the pupils up, the year six pupils up at University of Bristol. Now, a lot of these children in this school wouldn't normally see this as a pathway they could take um, to University of Bristol. They could see a bit beyond um, the realms of what they were being told they could do, even though they could. And it was very important for us, even though the school from the university is a couple of miles away, a lot of the children that ended up going there to do the workshop, they'd never been to this part of Bristol. 
and they'd never been to a university or building that was like this building sort of so what they thought it's like Harry Potter when they were in. Like yeah, it's like, quite it's, it's quite an opulent kind of you know um you know foreboding institution so and and for a lot of these kids they've never seen anything like that you know and 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 these huge Georgian townhouses and you know there's a big kind of area of Bristol that's owned by the university so they've kind of got that this enclave and for the students that at that age to come to that space they just kind of their eyes were just wide open and they just couldn't believe what they were seeing but then to seek to then take them into that space and then teach them more about this kind of inspirational figure head Lonnie Johnson and then to have them do practical exercises have some fun you know there was there was a lecture there was a couple of lectures that we gave as well as then hands-on kind of um, um, workshops so they could get involved with and learn a little bit of science um, as well as then walk around the grounds and just kind of understand that this potentially could be a route for them in the future. Um, so we wrapped up quite a few things in that um, in that event. But but yeah, it was a really unique opportunity for the kids and for the teachers as well to you know get out and about. Yeah, and I think that's a, a really important part of your your program, your initiative, isn't it? It's, this is not history. It's not picking out a few characters from history, a few influential people from history and teaching it through a history curriculum. This is about embedding things across the curriculum and looking at different people who have impacted different aspects of our society across the board. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talk a lot about implementation and, you know, it did start as a kind of a key stage three kind of history timeline but but we've been told by many teachers that each of the individuals because the lessons have individually focused on um one person you know but they cover a whole kind of you know era and a whole kind of thesis really you know it's it's it, we like to focus on an individual because we think it's more tangible for the learner to be able to grasp some of these larger issues um but but within that individual story there's so many different threads so you could take for for example um with um say um I get Imhotep for example there's so many aspects to his life you know whether it's covering kind of science medical science or whether it's covering art and architecture there's there's lots of threads within that individual's um, story and then with ancient Egypt as a whole kind of period I mean there's so much but but you were able to focus on the individual and make it make that history however um, old it is tangible to to a contemporary kind of um, cl um, classroom so um, but yeah yeah I mean it is we, we we like to think that because the resources are really deep and kind of thorough that you can take some portions of those and apply them to various different um, aspects of the curriculum so what one of the things that we kind of at the beginning people were asking us it's like would well, you want to change the curriculum and do, do you, you want to go in there and you want to you want to reform the curriculum and we're like we don't need to because we just give them the tools that enable them to use that within the current structure that we have and for us it's about giving teachers the materials and then they can decide how they want to use them and and i think there's flexibility within that to, for them to do that i can just hear schools responding to some of the stuff you give them like but we have to change the curriculum like the curriculum, it's, it's, as you're saying, it's like not about that. And I think what's really interesting, me and Mike were talking before we kind of started recording about like how um, insular the British curriculum history is. If we teach these certain periods, you learn about the Egyptians, you learn about the Tudors, World War II, bish bash bosh, that is history completed. Like that's very much how it goes unless you kind of take history further. And 
what you're doing is in these in these lessons or in these moments, uh, trying to expose these these students to stories that they're not they're not aware of. I watched something that you put out on the BBC, and it was amazing. Some of the students being like, "I literally didn't know this story about this person even existed," and like this is a way for me to engage in history in a different way rather than just learning about the different ways of King Henry VIII. I suppose that's kind of at the core. That's what we learn about in history, right, Mike, isn't it? Like the wives of King Henry VIII? Yeah. And if you look at the curriculum, you look at the national curriculum for history, it is so narrow in terms of this is British history and this is this period of British history, that period of British history. Um, and I think looking through, you know, the resources and things that you guys have got, you know, you just, you realise that British history is black history. You know, everything is intertwined in terms of our society and the effect we had on the rest of the world. And as black people came to Britain, how that history then kind of unraveled as well. So there's definitely yeah. scope within that curriculum, but it is still very, very narrow. Yeah, abs absolutely. But I think the power is in the educators' hands uh, to a certain extent, and it's it's down to you know we we get we, uh, we tend to get more pushback with within the older teachers, <laughs> and then the younger teachers feel seem to be a little bit more open to to maybe involving some of these other narratives within their teaching. So it it is it is the power's in their hands. They can talk about these stories because they do fit within the context of those periods of history that are structured within the curriculum. So, you know, you can, you know, you can dip in and out of the stories that we um we're trying to highlight. Um and ultimately, I think, you know, in the world that we live in now, children have the information at their fingertips. And they and they're aware of the diversity of the of the global kind of you know society we live in, and they want to know more. They want to know more unique stories. They want to know more interesting narratives. And I think for us, it's about that engagement and about people kind of being being tuned in and wanting to learn, you know, and 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 having that excited experience. I mean, it was just when when we first found out about Lonnie Johnson, the lesson we did, somebody came to us and told us about Lonnie Johnson. And we we're like, he's the guy that made the super soaker. How can we not make this into a lesson for primary kids? You know, I mean, it's like it's the perfect thing. You know, it's like he's also a genius, you know, and, and a, you know, an absolute boffin. But but that's the way in for the narrative, isn't it? It's like, you know, you tell them, that's the guy that invented the Nerf gun, but he's also worked at NASA. And it's like, what's well, the perfect storm of just like fascination and just kind of the fireworks going off in their head. So, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, a, you know, a, a narrative of diversity. It's a narrative of, you know, inclusivity and, and, and telling a, a wider story, but it's not, you know, we hate the, the, the kind of the, the device diverse, um, divisive um racial politics of black and white because we don't like to say we teach we're, we're offering up a black history curriculum you know it's not it's not about that it's about a global narrative and it's about uh um you know nuance and and intrigue as as opposed to you know kind of binary politics because i think that's a, a and it's a big part i mean lawrence always goes 
we, we make a big point about talking about language within um, some of the workshops we do because it's the importance of how this stuff is talked about because it can often be very divisive and we try and steer clear of that kind of argument and debate which is which is designed to derail the work that gets done you know i mean ultimately if you get kind of kettled into that kind of argument then you nothing gets done and we go around in circles and we've seen it so many times i mean lawrence i mean you see it every day don't you the people that are you know just just embroiled in that conversation which just seems to go nowhere and then nothing gets done so i think people have vested interest in trying to derail the the work that gets done by by polarizing people's opinions so i think it's very important to steer clear of that and just just excite people with new and interesting stories yeah absolutely i think you know bringing politics into the curriculum is never a good mix um but the thing that's striking me and and resonating with me when you're talking is, you know, I, I teach a lot of students from disadvantaged backgrounds and um, a whole variety of backgrounds. And if they can't see it, they can't be it. So if all you ever get taught about is influential white people, your aspirations aren't going to be there. You're not going to understand that path and, and that history that's gone before you. And like you said, standing on the shoulders of people who have gone before you. And for me, that's, that's what our curriculum should be doing. It should be inspiring children to go and do something really, really special with their lives. And I think that's what your resources allow teachers to do. hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Said, totally agree. Really is that we don't get caught in the conflict of what is already being taught. We don't get into that argument and we're not trying to take anything away from what's already being taught. We're looking to add to the narrative. We're looking to, in, in a sense, use them. We're looking to add color to the curriculum and that's really what we're doing so we don't get caught you know in our in our work we don't use colorisms we don't use the term black we don't use the term white we're not using the term brown and like i said earlier this is however you look it's just history or it's just education or it's just information it's knowledge it's like nothing else is colorized until it comes to what is termed as black history all of a sudden and but all the rest of it is just history so that's so we're like it's just history. Yeah, this is just education. This is just knowledge. This is just information. And so with some of it, I think in some places we could be more recognised or it could be easier to play the colour card. Instead of calling it card, we could have just called it a black history project. Be, oh, let's look at black. But we don't want to get caught in that, in, in, in that, in a sense, in that lie around the identity of race, which was just an idea 550 years ago, the idea of race. Which is a social construct, and this is a story about humanity, and it's trying to break down some of these barriers that have been put up in place to divide us as people. So it's very important for us and the work we do that we don't put barriers up. We're trying to remove barriers and solutions and create solutions. And one of the things I want to say: the problem is there's currency to the problem. The problem pays. The solution removes that so there's this whole dynamic that keeps well the problem the problem the problem and there is there's a there's lots of money for the problem we're like we kind of want to make the problem go away so part of our work part of our working thesis as a, as a work ethic doesn't really make sense save our resources we make them for we, we make them and make them freely available well but yeah but you could charge for that you could do this for it we want to remove the barriers to give everybody an equal opportunity to learn 
just so it's really interesting listening to how you come back. And I think that's a really interesting way of going back. I remember when we first spoke, Chaz, you said this, like, this is not about Black History Month where you go in, you do an assembly, the school goes, well, that's Black History, like, fixed. Like, we've done that, tick that box. Right, back to how many wives King Henry VIII had. Um, you can see why I studied a lot in history. Um, I actually, can I just point out, for GCSE, I had to study the British agriculture of the 1800s. That was my GCSE history project. Um, I don't think there's anything as dull as agriculture in the 1800s of Britain. That I bet was... there's some interesting stories in there, but they didn't tell you them. <laughs> no, I learned all about the 1846 Drain Act, where farmers were given loan interest loans to get create better remember their fields. At least. Why do I know that? Why do I still know that? Um, but one thing you were talking about, Chaz, you were saying like we're removed, like getting teachers removing that barrier so they can do it. But it's also about removing the barrier for for the students, for the learner, isn't it? If they if they hear one story, no matter what that story is, and that engages them with learning, with education, as you were saying, Lance, then they they suddenly own that education and they go off and they study things. They might say, right, I'm going to read this book now or I'm going to go to this museum or I'm going to go and see this expedition, something like that. So it's about empowering the learner by giving them information and they can go off and do what kind of what they want with that power. But I mean, it's, it's also how you give them that information as well. We've learned a lot on this journey in terms of the, way, the best way to present this information and how and what lessons work well and how to and how the pupils stay engaged. And and a big part of the delivery is all thanks to Lawrence is the the idea of poetry as a method of communication, because, you know, contemporary poetry and and um, and uh, the way in which it distills the information is such a great hook for for um for kids in school there's a it's a way in it's a great kind of doorway to a much bigger scope and i think and that's just what that's one of the tools we use to to kind of help just kind of deliver this material as well as then the 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 kind of the vibrant illustrations that's kind of the backbone of each of the lessons because they're they're targeted at a contemporary audience they figure they feature a contemporary figurehead you know it's it's it feels like it's a reflection of a, a modern take on a historical narrative and i think that visual kind of um you know the, those visual toolkits as well as the 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 poetry and the kind of the 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 kind of the distillation of of those massive themes and those huge kind of long stories is a great way for kids to just kind of grapple this um, this information so um yeah it's a big part for, for us is engagement as well as then giving them just you know um hidden history his, history that isn't uh, isn't in the mainstream um and finding those really interesting kind of you know hit um undercover stories I asked Chaz, you spoke earlier about some teachers are resistant, resistant to this kind of stuff you're doing. When you're in a workshop and the teacher maybe vocalises that or something, kind of how do you come back to that and say, like, but this is important? Like, what, what's your go-to come back to that teacher who says, and a big, I need big, to just teach the curriculum? Yeah, I mean, a big thing is, um, you know, un helping them to understand that, that they this work could help them as opposed to hinder them the the initial feeling from a teacher is why am i going to take on additional work that i don't quite understand that i think is going to add to my workload because it might actually make your learning experience in your classroom easier and, and more enjoyable because what we did we did a course with a company called future learn 
Um, it's an online course. It's available now. Um, and and that was in and around helping teachers teach our material. And one of the big parts of that course was a teacher diary that ran through the course. And you could see teachers for the first time hearing about cargo classroom materials, then kind of learning them and understanding them and then taking them for a test drive in their classrooms. So you can see a teacher like yourself, you know, appear, taking the information and then trying it in a classroom. And every time it was a different experience, but every time it was a totally positive and an enriching experience. And one of the standout stories for me was a teacher that was was teach learning alongside their pupils and it's a kind of a weird dynamic because teachers always want to be the people in charge of the information and they want to be the people that feel like they're they're in command of everything that's happening but to just kind of relinquish a little bit of that and just kind of go along the journey with their class at the same time I mean she found it was just the most amazing experience so I mean it was just you know that there, there is a lot to be gained and I think it's check letting them understand that there's it's more to be gained than there is to be lost um and and then showing them examples of that in place and i think why why we have these video testimonials and why we have a, um, a lot of this stuff documented so people can see and it isn't just arm waving we can just go have a look at this story and see this individual and they're just like you and they had a really positive experience and they and 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 it and it then the the natural instinct is fear but but once you peel that away then you 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 99 of the time you have a positive experience i, I mean lawrence what was one of the things that what I was gonna say, sorry, Chaz. I was gonna say I can completely relate to that, Mike. Like we've all done those lessons, haven't we, Mike? Where like it pushes you out, like it's hard at the start, like pushes you out of your comfort zone, and then quite often they're the best lessons because you've really had to kind of think about how you're going to deliver it or how you're going to kind of teach it, Mike. Like, is that something you found? You've worked with hundreds of teachers across the world, really. Like, is that something you found like that resistance to doing something new, and then it's you get so much back from it. You get. In any change, you get a different group of people, don't you? You get your early adopters who you almost have to calm down and say, look, don't change everything straight away. Dip your toe in the water, see how it goes, feel your way into it. And they're really, really keen straight away. You get your kind of majority that will go along with the change and, and do it kind of pragmatically and quite slowly. And then you get your resistors, don't you? And I think what you're doing with those case studies and those... Um, you know, people saying, this is how I felt at the time. This is how I used it, the resources. Here's the impact out of my students. That always helps those, those resistors get on board eventually. And eventually they will. If there's enough people around them, they'll get on board eventually. Um, but you need those, those early adopters, really, those kind of trailblazers to go, right, I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to run with it. And I'm, I'm going to do something different because you know, a lot of time when I talk to teachers, I say, if it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to change you. You know, I've been teaching 17 years. I could teach exactly the same PE curriculum I taught in my first year of teaching. It'd be really, really easy. I could plan most of my lessons between the store cupboard and the field. Easy. But then my students aren't going to get the best out of that. They're not going to get inspired about different sports and different activities through me doing that. So I've got to constantly find different ways of delivering different activities or the same activities. And I think... Teachers on the whole are very, very open to that, but there's always going to be that small group of, of resistance to it. But once you create that movement, it, those people eventually do get on board, don't they? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it as well that they just want to, they they feel that they're going to get tripped up and there's going to be a um, awkward question from from someone in the class and uh, and 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 it's letting them know that that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's they don't have to be on top of all the information. It's totally fine. So generally, the the pupils will respect them more for going out on a limb and it, and and making themselves feel vulnerable and 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 because they're in in the quest of giving them some, some more depth and more and greater understanding but but yeah i mean what do you think lawrence what was your experiences i mean i always remember that one um where in the documentary with the with the 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 kind of hard to reach kids and as a classroom of two students you know they they didn't really stick around for much um, and they were, you know, pretty impenetrable. But but yeah, tell, tell them about what happened there. That's quite a funny turn. I think part of it, what it is as well, is when people look and they think if you just use the, you know, the buzzwords, like, oh my God, it's black history. Often it's quite depressing and it's something they don't want to look at. So that, that's what they hear before they come to see the, what the resources are. And that's where the power of the illustrations come into it because I'm going to be a bit biased, but they're beautiful. And all of a sudden, you'll see the history that you've seen before. And often the imagery has been very negative. It could be somebody enslaved. It could be somebody being brutalized. And all of a sudden, you'll see these really empowering, beautiful, bright, contemporary images. Look at it. And also, it's like, oh, we could teach that. We could put that in our classroom. And they've got us into so many schools because the, we, we give those um, posters to any school, anyone listening, if you want some of the posters when you see them, we give them away for free. And then so many schools have put them up in the classroom because they're beautiful. But it's that, um, the way that that contrasts with what they normally see. So with the school that we're talking about, it's like a stage five school, in a sense, a bit like a referral unit. And you've got young people there, and a lot of them, um, with the young people that we're working with, generally they have an attention span of 10 to 15 minutes. That's about it. And then they, they break out into, they just can't focus anymore. Um, we went in there with them. It was funny because when we did the workshop and the work with them, I can remember thinking, why are there so many members of staff coming to this class? There's me. There's two pupils and it should just be the teacher. And it was three other teachers and a security, member of security, that came to this class with two young people that are 14 years old. You know, and not to be thinking, but they're children. You know, but there was this fear of what they might do or what could happen. And it was like, wow, no wonder you get a bit of a pushback if you're having this much um, of a team around trying to engage with just a couple of pupils. They're always going to feel a bit outnumbered and always going to feel a bit like, oh, it's us against all of you and you're always going to back each other up and we're always going to be on the back foot. So anyway, we've come in, we've come into the class, we've sat there, said to the teacher, you can wait outside. So it ended up just being me and the teacher in the class and the two pupils. And also we had some, because um, some of this was also later on for the, um, the television programme, we had the most um, intrusive cameraman you could ever imagine, <laughs> who had a very short throw lens. So he had to literally be three foot away from your face when he's filming, because he wanted to use the short throw lens. So the fact that they got over that as well, but they were so um, engaged with the work, with the illustrations, the poetry, and actually how it was presented to them. They stayed engaged. They ended up um, creating their own image and taking from the information they'd done. They put those in by using dots to represent certain parts of the story, colours onto the onto the paper. And they stayed fully engaged for over an hour in this lesson. Um, everybody in the school couldn't believe what was actually happening. 
Um, they, they've never been disengaged. They've never, but they really had interest in it. And I think what's the most remarkable thing is later on we found out that one of the young, one of the two young people, chose to take history up as a subject, which for us it was like wow. But because he found something that he could connect to, and he actually found interest in that, hadn't done before. So I think it's part of it is the way that all the resources really they're so over engineered. We, we 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 get we get a spine of what we could get away with teaching it as a lesson, and then we add as, as we just add as much more information as possible to make them as exciting and as gauging as possible. And, and we ensure that if, when you go through the page the pages with the slides, however you want to present it. It, we, we we ensure that they're not all just text heavy. We kind of we have text, we have part of the curriculum, and then we have an image or a video. Then we have some more information, then something visual. So um, we're trying to engage with people that might have a short attention span, like myself. So it's like we we put something on the screen, so you keep drawing you back. There's always something to see, there's something to hear, there's something to see, and that seems to be what is part of the magic of the resources we've created. That they really engage with people. And I think the one thing I want to say, because that was actually an art class, part of that was an art class, which is in. So what it is about the way that it works cross-curriculum, because of the poetry, these resources can be used in English. Because of the illustrations and the art, they can go to your art class, as well as history. And then there's further um, lessons they can be included and depending on who the subject is. But that, uh, who the person is, but if that actual there, that was an art class that that was being, being used in, where through art, they were learning history at the same time. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it it was really rewarding to see it reaching, especially children that were deemed to be very hard to connect with. I really I've like got this amazing bit. image, Lawrence, of this student coming out of your lesson, just buzzing about history, sign up for history, and then walking in in the first lesson, be like, "We're looking at the agriculture in the eighteen hundreds." <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he got interested, Mike. That's when he really thought, "This is for me." Um, no, I, I've seen that footage, Lawrence, and it's just this. There's this great footage where the teacher's just going, "I can't believe how long we've been in this classroom," and then you get one of the students being like, "How long have I been learning this?" Like, it's just this. Uh, there's a great moment in it. Um, and me and Mike were also talking before we record of genuinely how beautiful and awesome these resources are. Like, the website is incredible. The footage, the videos, the resources for lessons are absolutely amazing. So anyone listening to this um who's got any interest in anything we've said right now please go and have a look so charles just, go, just google cargo classroom and you'll go straight in there it'll come up top of google and and you'll go straight into the, to the main cargo classroom website which will give you all the information and there's a there's an implementation video and there's a reason why video and then there's the lessons the three stages which will give you a really broad understanding of why we do what we do how you can do what you do and the material of the, itself, which is um, um, really easy and free to access. So, so yeah, yeah. Cargo classroom. And if from there people then want to talk about these getting involved more with what you do, do they just go, is it all through the website? Yeah. You can just email us info at cargo movement.org. Um, um, and you can, yeah, just drop us an email and um, yeah, we, we, and like I said, we, um, like Lawrence said, we, we give away free posters to anybody who just, 
um, drops us a line um, and we'll, we'll get them in the post to you so yeah we think you know we we try and we 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 really believe in digital engagement that's the world we're living in at the moment but there's no there's no substitute for something tangible big bright stuck on a classroom wall because it sparks the most amount of conversations people go what well, who's that what's that doing up there and then that that's the way in isn't it you know and and as many tools as we can give teachers um the better and um and yeah and and for free um so yeah free resources teachers are always interested Chaz, always interested um thank you so much for your time Chaz and lawrence uh it's been a no fascinating conversation and anyone listening please just go to the website and within about 10 seconds you'll realize you're going to spend a long time on this website because that's exactly what i did typed in oh i've just lost a few hours just going for all the resources it is just it's a fantastic stuff and what you're doing is uh absolutely brilliant and thank you so much for giving up your time for tea and teaching this evening not Very a problem at all uh, listeners, we'll be time. back in a moment. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. Arthur, amazing chat with Chaz and Lawrence. Um, they're doing so much good work for education and, and society as a, a wider whole. Um, how did you find that chat? Just fascinating, insightful, and just when Lawrence told that story at the end, like that that's what it's about it's about giving these students just a chance to engage with history and engage with education and the way they go about it kind of using digital media and kind of these posters and stuff it's just such a interesting way to go about it and when Lawrence was saying that was actually an art class that kind of became a history class and kind of became this just really interesting I would just implore anyone who's like listen to this just type in cargo movement and just go onto their website and you're you'll just get it um like very hard to f take a single takeaway from that, Mike. Like I've got some notes, but very, like it was more kind of the whole conversation was a takeaway. But if I was to push you for that, that thing that you've really taken away from this, what would you go for? Hard, hard question. It is hard. Um, I guess two things. I, I love the way they're using inspirational people as the in. So it's not about a timeline of history. It's not about a particular time in history it's about individuals in history who have made a real impact and then what goes around you know they were talking about the artwork that might um support a story about one of those individuals or um the scientific discoveries they made might take you down a different road so the way they were using individuals is really interesting and then i found it really interesting when they talked about as well i think lawrence talked about the fact that there's profitability in a problem is that we're not just expecting society to just recognize these people and these achievements and make things right in terms of our education is that we actually have to go and do something about it because that problem's not going to fix itself. There's not going to be an adjustment of that without brave teachers saying, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to try something new and I'm going to use these resources and implement something for my students that I think could be really inspirational. Absolutely. What you said about being brave there and kind of just going for it and kind of like recognizing this is something you should be doing because it's going to just enhance. And they spoke about how it enhances kind of the learning, like learning for everything because these just make them better students. Um, for me, it's when they've spoke about like, we spoke about kind of curriculum and stuff and they just we're just trying to add to the narrative 
we're just trying to add to this narrative, add some extra stories. Like we're not taking away stuff. We're not, we're not saying don't study agriculture in the 1848, but we are saying like, let's just give extra opportunities to have different conversations um, and share some stories. And as we said, like the way they go about it is such an interesting and different way to is often done. Um, that I would just I would challenge any kind of teacher, especially history teachers, go and have a look and just give it like give it a go. See what happens, see where it leads to, see what conversations are had in the classroom. Cause I guarantee it's going to be an interesting lesson. That's what you said, Mike, about rechanging. They're the best lessons. Like when you when you change yourself, you get great lessons and great learning out of it. And on that bombshell, we shall finish, Arthur. Thank you very much to you. Thanks to Chaz and Lawrence, and thank you to you listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tea and Teaching. If you've enjoyed the content of this episode, please feel free to share it with other educators. And if you're able to, please leave a review on the platform. And as always, thank you for listening to Tea and Teaching.